0: For his life slash Fonzie Podcast 2022, episode 18. Uh name of the episode Stace Oddity. This is Will Ground Control Evans to Major Fonz. Uh Fonzi Brad took me aback earlier this year with his um, with his dislike of David Bowie, shattered me uh what's your take on him? You, do you you a bowie fan or are you too much of a macho aussie guy is he too androgynous and uh sexually ambiguous for
1: you no man i'm i'm, I'm a fan of bowie it's, it's all good nice atmospheric stuff there's a time and a place for it just like everything else but uh i, I like the um i like the episode title will because the next 11 weeks could feel like an odyssey if we don't start hitting some form eh Yeah, uh,
0: game one down with Stacey Jones as our interim coach. 38-16, lost to the Sharks, started off bloody well, 12-0 lead after 12 minutes, and then fell back into some pretty uh, familiar Warriors tropes there with bad errors coming out of um, our own area, leading to Sharks points, um, obviously combated by some pretty brittle um, edge defence and a um, middle four contingent that got... Pretty much steamrolled again. Didn't think the sharks played particularly well, but they uh, found their way of the try line pretty easy. Whenever they did have the ball, scored eight of the last nine tries, and yeah, probably saved from a from a fairly embarrassing scoreline by Nico Hines's troubles off the tee. Um, yeah, what was your what was your overall take on the
1: on the game as a fan, as a analyst? I, I thought there was a, a little step forward here. This week, I mean, I thought um, the second half fight back was something we haven't seen for a while, where we actually managed to regain some composure and put a try on and look the better team for a patch in the second half. Uh, That's, you know, uh, baby steps, but a little bit of progress. I thought the spine actually looked really good in the first 15 minutes or so, probably the best they've looked in a long time and i was pleasantly surprised with the performances from a few players um over the 80 but by and large it was the same issues coming to the fore uh, which was the undersized middle the lack of yardage from the back and just some basic errors from some players who really wearing thin on the whole you know developing um excuse and uh some Real defensive problems on both edges, but particularly the right um, and and really just not able to hold the middle as well. So all the old issues were there, but there did just seem to me to be just a little bit more going on um, with the ball and just a little bit more spirit in the side than we've seen for a while. And, you know, I mean, bigger picture, we've got Penrith this weekend, then we've got a week off. Then we're back in Auckland, and to me, sort of the next phase starts in Auckland. You know, I think that's when the the next phase, the real Stacey Jones phase, kicks off. Until then, we're just holding time a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was uh, finding it hard to assess whether I was kind of looking at it properly because this is the first time where a game started to get away from us, and it was obviously we we're going to lose. That I. Actually wanted us to, to pull it back um, recently. Obviously, I've been just wanting Nathan Brown out of there at any cost. So game got <laughs> away from us. I was, I was happy for the floodgates to open and just sat there emotionless with Stacey at the helm. Now I, you know, rode out the eighty and and you know wanted a, a couple of tries from us at the end. Um, so from that point of view, as a fan, it was definitely an improvement from you know just just from that change at the top. Um, yeah, whether they played a hell of a lot better Unsure But there was, yeah, just, just that little uh, hint of a incremental improvement across the
1: board Yeah, I think so I mean, I think we, we sort of said last week Or I said that the bounce back if there was one this week Was more likely to be the absence of Brown than the presence of Stacey yeah. And there probably was a touch of that this week, I thought And uh, I mean, I thought there was, you know, there's obviously still issues in the team. I'm sure we'll come to that. We all saw the current SJ exchange after full time that got a lot of people talking and I'm sure there's more of that. So I by no means feel like the team is now united, harmonious and fallen in behind Stacey. But. At least Brown's not there, is the, is the feeling yeah, there, I had.
0: There really is a sense of relief that the Brown era, for me at least, that the Brown era is over. Um, you know, we can get behind Stacey. We know that probably the early signs are that Stacey's maybe not our long-term guy, but at least we know he's not gagging for that long-term role. Like, we'll know that it'll, yeah. it'll happen organically if they win a bunch of games, and he might think he is, and we might think he is. But if not, then... He won't want it and he won't get it.
1: Um, and you know he's all about the club first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, And if you know that, you can overlook errors or learning your way and so on. If you know that deep down that's where he's coming from, you can support that.
0: Yeah, he's not going to talk his way into a job that he's not right <laughs> for or, um, you know, doesn't deserve. So, uh, yeah, all, all in all, feeling a lot more heartened. Um, probably the big talking point, I guess, from uh, – on Twitter and um, and message threads or um, post-threads on the Sparrow's Life, at least a lot of vitriol for Sean Johnson, just a continuation, I guess, of what's happened or the sort of general attitude towards him in recent weeks. So you went back and watched again and watched specifically uh, Sean's game um, and not as bad as everyone seems to think, Fonz.
1: No, but let's start by... Um, And and I'm going to use the Sean rewatch to sort of run through the game in a bit more detail because, you know, obviously Sean's a key figure in the game. Um, I should say too, the first time I watched it, um, I was at a bowling club watching it over my shoulder on a screen while feeding my kids and or um, chasing my kids around bowling greens and stuff. So my first watch didn't really count for much anyway. So the second watch was really my first proper watch and... Um, got challenged by um, by the Twitter crew to go back and watch SJ and tell us with a straight face that he played well. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought I was going to be coming on here agreeing that he didn't, but I, I actually can't say that. I actually think he went okay. So, so let's start that, right, by saying how are we going to judge whether SJ played well? So What's the, what's the criteria like? What's his job? You know what I mean? Because I think a big part of the criticism SJ has attracted over the years is that his job or the criteria for whether he's been successful is set incredibly high. And that might have been true if he was on a million dollars as a 27-year-old halfback in the Warriors. But right now you can't look at him that way. Yeah, he's a 31-year-old, number seven, coming off – some injury plagued years. Who's here on four five hundred thousand dollars reportedly, which is in the absolute mid tier, if not lower mid tier, for halfbacks in the NRL. And so, his job, as I see it, is to play a, um, a, a a role as one of the spine players. He's not the dominant spine player in my mind, based on what we're paying him where he is in his career and so on. There's things that he's more experienced at and that I expect him to do better than young spine players. But we never bought a dominant um, elite half here. We bought a guy who at that price and where he is should be doing a job. So what's that job? Yeah, so first up, um, coming out of yardage, what's his job? It's to stay the hell out of the action. Right, and let Egan roll the middles as best he can with the front row we've got, and then kick long. Yep. Yep. And so how do we reckon he went doing that? Yeah, I think he did
0: that fine. I mean, it's hard to find the grass uh, very often if you're kicking from your 40 all night, which is pretty much what he had to do because our go forward was pretty average.
1: Yeah, well, I agree. I think he did it okay. He did it okay to good, right? Now, um Seven's a high interaction role, which means um, that your ability to execute as a seven depends a lot on the, uh, the role others do around you. So if your role or your job coming out of yardage is to kick well on the fifth, right, what's the main determiner of that? It's a quick play the ball off a good carry on the fourth. So you're getting the ball on the front foot with a bit of time and space. I'll watch carefully his kicking game, but I also watched carefully that fourth carry and yep. the time and space he got, and he got served up rubbish yep. and did about as well as you could do off it, which was my take. Like, if you compare the quality of the ball that sevens are getting in other teams with better packs, it, you know, with better um, energy levels and stuff and better positions on the field to what Sean was getting, um, I would say that he did that job quite well, actually. When you allow for that And even if you don't allow for that It was fine Is my take So on the yardage side And his limited role there I couldn't really criticise him um, And some might say He's got a Obligation to take the line on And do other things Coming out of yardage I mean to me that makes no sense that,
0: right? That's absolute rubbish it's hardly yeah. Any halfbacks would Be taking it up uh, From outside your own half Unless they sort
1: of Supply half an opportunity Yeah. So then you you look at good ball, still in attack here, right? So, um, probably worth looking at some of the sets. Our first opportunity in good ball was in the third minute. Um, I think we got a piggyback penalty or something that got us down the other end. And so that set, it went um, a Walsh carry, Murdoch Messiah carry, a left shift, a Harris carry back into the middle. Then SJ takes the line on. Um, and you're thinking, oh, what's he done here? Um, it's a nothing play, but we get a set restart, right? So he's seen he's seen that the defence is off, right? Exactly the kind of experience play you want who's seen that the defence is offside and he's going to get six again if he just carries in. So he did that. Um, I don't know how many people would have noticed that and chalked it up to his credit. Yep. Then it goes... Um, Jazz another left shift so we're going left here right so when people again say oh why didn't SJ do anything we're going left now SJ's job is to organize the right side yeah he's a right side player we keep wanting to go left to CHT side and CHT and Walsh have a pretty good dynamic going there so um, on some of these sets he's only touching the ball once or twice and that's that's right that's all he should be touching the ball you know it should be Egan's job to get first three plays generate some speed then either go left or right, depending where it is, how the defense is going. And some sets it'll go right, some sets it'll go left. But this idea that it's SJ's job, in my opinion, the idea that it's SJ's job to turn good ball into points is wrong. Right. There's three or four people who have that job in the team. SJ's one of those people. And so I'm looking at did he do his part of that job well. So on this set, where it ends is SJ plays to Murchie, who's running an inside line. And um, it's a pretty good carry-off. Murchie generates ruck speed. Then Egan, for some reason that I will not understand, plays to Berry, right? So it doesn't hit SJ on the right. He plays to Berry, who runs an inside line, gets tackled on the fifth, and it's a handover. Now, this team has a chronic problem with wanting to hit Berry on the last tackle. (laughs) It's like Bodine Thompson back in 2017. It's crazy. It is just crazy. Now, I'm an Egan fan, so... If I really want to be generous here, I could say that Egan here is conditioning the defence, right? So the the role of the hooker in good ball is to cause the defence to be sufficiently worried, or one of the roles, to be sufficiently worried about um, attack around, in and around the ruck, that they over-compress and create space on the outside, yeah? So if Egan's going to... And Berry should be running if he's running that inside line, it's kind of a decoy line, yeah? So if Barry's running that line on the fifth and Egan hits him, it means that the next time this happens, the defence is thinking Egan is just stupid enough to pass to Barry running an inside crash line on the fifth. Yeah, so maybe he's conditioning the defence with that play. And the reason I say that is because the very next set, that's exactly what happens when we score a try with Walsh. Yeah. Right? So I just want to flag that idea, but... Regardless, SJ did nothing wrong on this set, right? He set up correctly. Um, he got the six again. We went left a couple of times and we came back right. He set up the quick play, the ball off Murchie, then Egan to Berry, WTF. At this point, um, if there's a failure, it's Egan not getting the ball to SJ on the last. Yeah. Instead, go to Berry. So then um, we roll through and we get another penalty for a tackle on Montoya. We get good ball again. And this time it goes Murdoch Masia, Jazz, then we go left, CHT um, and SJ chiming in for a big left sweep. So he's getting involved in doing what he should be doing in his stage of his career, which is the link man between CHT and Walsh. You don't want him on the end of that, right? Walsh is the guy who's got to be on the end of that. Then it comes back right and he does the exact same um, Murchie play, which generates the same quick play the ball. And then on the last Egan, yeah, it's the last Egan doesn't hit Barry, who's running the inside line. He plays out to Walsh, who goes and scores. Yeah, it's the exact same play. Those two tackles, the SJ Murchie play, and then the Egan um, missing Barry to Walsh in the second occasion, first occasion hit Berry, Barry, are the same setup. It's exactly the same setup, and it scores a try for us the second time we do it. So at this point, we're seven eight minutes in. The whole spine is doing reasonably well. We're getting piggyback penalties, we're getting good ball and we're turning good ball into points. And there's no reason for anyone to be complaining about anybody in our spine. Um, So just flicking through my notes again. So then we get to the Egan try, um, which again, we get good ball. And if you look at this try, SJ actually sets up the space that egan exploits through launching a raid down the right edge then it comes back into the middle the defense's freight has been pulled over to their left and egan's basically um, jumping on the outside of kennedy so he's got it but murchie kind of throw throw a yeah 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 it basically i think it was two or three passes i'm just trying to picture it in my head there was two or three passes that went down a right edge and then the defense was in disarray and um Egan does what a hooker needs to do and um, exploits it because they're not jamming in enough, you know, given how um, distressed the defence is. So at this point, we're at 12 minutes and our whole spine looks like rock stars. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the spine in good ball. All right, So if you stop there, you go, um, firstly, the different members of this spine are capable, given enough good ball, of looking good and scoring tries. You know, is is the the truth of it. Um, Sj is not the dominant half. He Egan and probably Cht and Walsh are all sharing the load. here. he's doing what he needs to do on the right. He's chiming in when we're going really open. Um, he's allowing Egan to control the middle, and um, he's allowing Walsh to control, you know, the um, the wider play on both sides, on right and left, and that's all good. That's what we want, you know, and so I got to this point and I was about to write a tweet to um, everyone saying you're all a pack of miserable, um, you know, critics. Uh, And, of course, at this point, the whole team looked good, yeah? Yeah. Um, Now, from here, obviously, the wheels fall off the team. And so the question is, you know, to what extent is SJ accountable for that? To what extent is he responsible? So what's your memory of... What caused things to start rolling off here?
0: Oh, the, the errors coming out of our own area. Murchie playing it sideways. There was one, mis- I can't remember what order they happened in, but uh, there there's a terrible pass from Jazz that, where Bunty turned it over. Uh, Chanel, just after coming back from the HIA, fumbled um, yep. an offload. Uh, that, yeah, that seemed to be where it went wrong, where the Sharks scored points off the back of anyone in that first half.
1: Yeah, so spot on, right? So there's a whole series of things that happen that mean we don't really get much good ball for another 15 minutes. Yeah. So the assessment of Estra, we talked about his yardage role and how he did that. Yep. We talked about the good ball that we got there. We just don't get good ball now for a, an extended period of time. Um, what we do get, though, is a bunch of sharks attack because of those errors where they're coming at us. And so um, there's the narrative, and and by the way, I've supported it in some previous games, that SJ's a major reason for that right edge not holding well. Um, So just to be clear too, I'm only talking about this game, this game only, right? So there there is probably other games where he's defended worse than in this game. But in this game, I don't think he was personally responsible for very much that went wrong on that right edge. So the first try... um, Sharks get some good ball. This is like about the 15th minute and they actually hammer our right edge and it holds up reasonably well and they end up scoring on our left edge. Um, so nothing to do with SJ or or that edge there. Um, CHT, by the way, his missed tackle stats for the last couple of weeks have looked pretty ugly. Yeah. And... And uh, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd be interested to know the people who wanted to have a go at SJ's defence, whether they really compared it to CHD's this weekend.
0: Yeah, it's 12 tackles, 6 misses, compared to 17 and 3 for, for Johnson this week.
1: Yep, yep. Um, so then we go into a phase where the Sharks are just hammering us through the middle. Now, middle has gone off injured. And he's actually pleasantly surprised me in terms of the way he's taken to that middle forward prop role because he's previously said he doesn't want to do it, and he's obviously played more time at the edge. But his work rate is low, but his sort of effort and intimidation around the middle is pretty good. And so... Okay. Metres meters per run rate is slightly so good. Yeah, it is. And, and it's also the reason why suddenly Egan's back in the game, because there's someone who opposition teams are scared of yeah. coming through that middle. So... Uh, Mernot Masi is off, we're back to an understrength middle and Sharks just hammering us through the middle on good ball. It's just all coming through the middle. It's like um, it's a middle carry, middle carry, middle carry and then try. So this try is on the right edge. Yep, so this is SJ's side. Um, and you've got two runners running outside in lines, like pretty hard outside in lines. And I think it's Talakai and Rudolph. So two big bodies who have put themselves wide and they're coming back in. Now, the numbers were just wrong. So we were just uh, like they hit the their left, our right tram line, and we just numbered up one two short on the um, short side on SJ's side. So then you've got these two big bodies running back in, which means um, SJ and Murchie can't release. They can't go out because it's a man down, but there's two guys coming back into the into the ruck so that they can't go. And so Berry ends up sort of in no man's land. He comes in because he's sort of stuck there and they just go outside and, and score. But S- there's nothing SJ could do. Like he he couldn't, he released as quickly as he could. So if you watch it carefully, as soon as the guy, he was the, the inside line runner, didn't get the ball and it was obvious he wasn't getting the ball, he released and went. Um, but there was nothing he could do. That was the middle um, not numbering upright and they're not pushing out quickly enough. And it's a case where the edges are getting blamed for something that's not their fault. You know who probably is to blame there, I'd say? It's Walsh. Because it's Walsh's job to count the numbers, right, at fullback. Point. So I, I couldn't – sorry, go on, yeah.
0: I was just going to say it seems to be when something like that happens and obviously – you know, they're all on hiding to nothing out there in a situation like that. It seems to be that people focus on it, on seeing Sean as part of it. And just another reason to bag him, if it's Joe Bloggs defending out there, you know, it's like, oh, well, try time. Move yep. on.
1: Yep. No, I agree. And no, seriously, go back and, that's one that a lot of people were saying was SJ's fault. Go back and watch it and freeze frame it and look at, exactly the numbers when he makes a decision on who he's going to contact and then the point when he releases and pushes out and it was absolutely flawless that decision making from SJ on that try in my opinion so then we we do eventually get another good ball set in about the 28th minute Um, and so we use that um, it goes Bunty to current So we're sort of going through the middle. It's like a middle base set. And then we go um, to Walsh on the left edge for the attacking play, and Walsh puts it dead. Yeah. So, um, okay, fine. We, we played a set that was constructed more to the left. You know, that's appropriate. You don't always going to go to SJ. We've got CHT and Walsh there, and um, it didn't work out. Walsh failed to execute properly. Nothing to do with SJ. You know, our fullback failed to execute. And at this point, the only spine player who's probably made a defensive error and failed to execute is Walsh. It's not SJ. He hasn't failed any of his execution, hasn't made a defensive error that I can see at this point. Um, So then, again, we're still struggling out of yardage. The Sharks are getting good ball, and um, CHT makes an error, and the Sharks... um, Again, come down that right side, and again the numbering's wrong. Um, The sharks have—I'm looking at it—so on the right, it's it's the same thing. It's on that right side tram. We've only got four players. The sharks have five. Yeah, and so Moylan basically skips over the top of Syrinen to score. Sj was right in terms of where he marked and who he released to to go and cover. There There was no defensive error that I could see there. It was just again the middle and the numbering not being um not being on point so at this point I'm looking at it going we're pretty much a half time here the sharks run down and score a junk time try through the middle just before half time I'm looking at it going um of all the places that people want to be blowing up about I have no idea why it's SJ mm. no idea it it makes no sense to me at all um there is one execution error in the 38th minute when SJ sort of puts a kick to the right edge to Dullin um, a bit too deep and he sort of bats it back, but it's a bit of a nothing. But that's it, that's the only execution error and it's a pretty minor execution error in the first 40 minutes. Option was fine. Option was fine, yeah. So look, I mean, I could keep doing this into the second half, but I'm not doing a particularly good job of it because my notes are a bit crap and I'm struggling to remember some of the ins and outs off my chicken scratchings. But, you know, I think the point, the the high-level point holds into the second half, which is um, he's got a limited rollout of yardage. He did it fine. In good ball, he's one of several players who are the focal point of our attack, and he executed fine, in my opinion. And the fact that the team couldn't manage to get more good ball and the fact that the team was getting absolutely... Um, monstered through the middle by the Sharks. Like The Sharks were just pouring through the middle, which was then shortening up the edges. And then if you go and look at what the individuals did in terms of reacting to the shortened up edges, SJ's no worse and probably better than most on that right edge. Rock or Berry, frankly, like I feel for the guy, but he is so far off in terms of his positioning in both attack and defence yeah. um, that we... You know, it's right that he's been dropped and um, it's a real mystery how he's fallen so far over the last sort of 18 months. But Rock or Berry by far was the problem on that right edge relative to Sean. And uh, our middle was by far the problem compared to our edges overall in defence.
0: I'd say the second half probably didn't go quite as well for Sean, this is just from memory. did have a lot of touches inside the warrior, the sharks sort of thirty meter area. You probably might have some notes on that. Um, I I didn't see anything wrong with his effort. I just um, the cohesion with Walsh and uh, his his players outside him on the right. Barry, um, it just wasn't there, and it was hard to um, manufacture anything. Um, Probably one criticism I would have had would be that he could have tried and built pressure a bit more by finding the end goal, which he's probably one of the best players in the NRL at. Um, I only recall one grubber, which Kennedy cleaned up and got back into the field of play. Um, But yeah, other than that, I mean, you know, looking back at my ratings this week, I was probably a bit harsh on him. To me, the body language didn't uh, look great and obviously things weren't going that well from the team out on the field. But yeah, if you're purely looking at it like you have in detail like that, certainly not as bad as, um, you know, a lot of people are making out.
1: Yeah. Well, even the second half, right? So that was my feel coming, um, coming home from the <laughs> bowling club. Yep. It was SJ and the team generally performed poorly in the second half. But again, when you look at it, um, We got very little good ball in the second half, right? But I'll just quickly run you through the good ball. Um, So 49th minute, we get a good ball set. It goes Louis, um, Tohu, SJ playing to Curran. Then Egan gets a six again, right? Then it's SJ playing to Ciro, SJ playing to Louis. Um, Then we go left, CHT to Pompey. Then we go back right and we got that bomb try. You know when um, Barry should have passed to is Zelezniak, and he instead he held it and got tackled, right? Yeah. But that was a bomb try coming off SJ's right edge, right? What he's supposed to do, putting a player in a two-on-one where they should score. Yeah, well, that is terrific, yeah. And then shortly okay. after that, we get the actual try oh, – sorry, then we get the mulitalo try for the Sharks, which was that bullshit call from the ref. Now, SJ did make an error here in defence, so, like, he bit too hard on the inside runner, Um but again, if you look at it, the middle was in complete disarray. So he's made a bad call when he's got a number of bad options and he's just picked probably the worst of several bad options. Um, but shortly after that, he's instrumental in the try we do score with Dullin on that right edge, right, where he again runs the, the shape and um, and off we go. So I even in that second half, to me, it's more about opportunity and position and context than SJ not doing his job. I think he did his job reasonably well. I, I just can't, I can't bring myself to join the chorus here. And, and I suppose people
0: are la- piling into him about not running the ball again. Uh, Ten runs for seventy-eight meters. That's pretty decent stats for a thirty-one-year-old halfback, in my opinion. Uh, certainly more than Chanel had. And um, yeah, you know, he's not. It's not twenty-fifteen. Sean Johnson. It's not for the benefit of. Himself or the team for him to be, you know, trying to score solo tries because it's just not going to work.
1: But like, to me, so that's an area where yes, there's probably a balance of him running the ball a little bit more. Like that's probably a a work on, but it's not it's not fatal. Like what do we actually want him to be doing here? Just to be clear, like what, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to take his 31 year old body and carry it into contact at an edge back row? Like, wh- what do you actually want? You know, like, do we expect him to hot step um, against a set defence and somehow find a hole that's not there? Like Yeah, exactly. That is what people want. Um, so, so if we're saying he needs to carry the ball into the line and dig in a bit deeper to create more space for Walsh, Yeah. Right. On the outside. Yeah, maybe. It's fair. Maybe. Maybe. Right. Maybe that's what we're saying. But that's kind of CHT's job on the left. The shape on the right's a bit different, you know. So even that, I think, is slightly overblown. But I agree that that's a valid criticism. I also think there's probably a valid criticism around some of his option taking on the fifth in good ball. Um, When he does get the ball on the fifth, in terms of like you said, rolling it into the end goal and so on, but these are not like dramatic, massive errors that are costing us games. These are like marginal improvements he can make to the role he's trying to play. Is my take? And I think he's been in some
0: games where he has got a lot of criticism. I actually think that side of his game has been quite good, his forced dropout rate and that sort of thing. But wasn't there on the weekend? But um, yeah. So it's I didn't probably quite far gone with them.
1: I didn't quite capture that as fluidly as I'd like, but hopefully you got the gist of the rewatch and where I came from um, in, in sort of coming out and saying that I actually don't think SJ's in any way a problem, and I think he's basically doing his role. Um, the people who aren't doing their role in our team are our middle defence, which is just leaking like a sieve, and um, then we've just got a series of players who make boneheaded errors that you just don't make in first grade. Um, And, you know, collectively, as a a team, we still don't really have any, like, cohesion or um, shape or structure in either attack or defence, which is fundamentally a coaching failure. Yeah. That's, That's my take. Like, SJ, you're hanging the wrong man, guys, honestly. SJ, in terms of what he's bringing on field at the moment, is part of the solution, not part of the problem. Right. Now, off-field we can talk about, and maybe we should, right? We should talk about what we think is happening off-field. But on-field, he is not the problem.
0: Well, shall we head into the off-field side of it with uh, using the Josh Curran post-match thing as a, a bit of a bridge? I mean, we saw some yeah. blurry, vision, uh, ble- blurry vision of him over the shoulder of Dallin in a post-match interview. Kind of looked like Curran was remonstrating with... Johnson a little bit, maybe looked like he was having a go at him, and then kind of shaking his head as as they parted ways and walked off in different directions.
1: Yeah, I mean, I it was pretty clear they weren't happy, well, Curran wasn't happy with SJ, yeah, I, I guess, but can't be sure that maybe SJ was talking to some of his mates at Cronulla, and Curran was saying... Hey, why are you doing that when we've just got towed? I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's what it was. Um, I'd be surprised if it was coming up to blow up about in-game kind of tactics and yeah. stuff on the field. That'd be weird, I think.
0: Yeah, um, my first instinct when I sort of saw that and thinking about Karen, who you know seems like a a great guy, and you and it, you wouldn't have seen his interview with Sky Sports. He was really frustrated before he went on before Dallin and was quite frustrated. Uh, by the way, they're losing games. But honestly, he's played 28 games over four seasons. If he's getting stuck into a halfback that's played 200 and something games that is playing behind a pack that's getting monstered, uh, that doesn't sit particularly well with me. Karen needs to establish his own place in the game before worrying about anyone else.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'm probably not gonna share your take on that one. So I I do think that. There's some trouble in the camp. Yeah. I think that some players uh, were more supportive of Brownie than others, and some players are really probably quite, including SJ, I would guess, are yeah. quite pleased that Brownie's gone, and other players are less pleased. And um, um, uh, one of those, he even said, and again
0: in that post-match interview, about you know if Brown didn't give him the kick up the ass last year, wouldn't be, wouldn't have sort of got to the level. Yeah. Um, that he is a, at the moment, which, in my opinion, he still needs to cement. But
1: Yeah, well, and, and that's natural. There's going to be some players who gel better with a given coach than others. And um, if, if you've, a coach has worked really well for you and then, you know, another player is sort of actively not looking to support that coach, then I can understand that creates some tension. And yep. that that's sort of just what happens when clubs don't do well and you start getting some of these issues. Um, there's also probably – I don't know what you think about this. It's just a theory. But there's you, – you've got some players who are effort players, you know, like really um, trade off the back of effort, energy, attitude. And then you've got someone like SJ who trades off the back of just freak talent um, and smarts. And it's pretty natural, I think, sometimes for effort players – to get frustrated at the other players yeah. um like sj doesn't have Curran's attitude he doesn't have Curran's natural competitiveness desire to charge at the thickest part of the line just because it's the thickest part of the line you know what i mean like that's not sj it never has been and i don't i think that's okay as well right like i don't think every player has to be like that but i can understand that when you're frustrated and things aren't going well and there's disharmony and so on that that type of player can get frustrated with, you know, someone like SJ. And, I mean, I look back at the Sharks when SJ aligned himself with Morris and Fitzgibbon didn't want him. And Fitzgibbon's a current-type player, isn't he? You know, like a real effort, hard-ass, uncompromising, no-nonsense type player. Um, And I can sort of see a bit of a line through some of those types of players and their attitude to Johnson versus, um, you know, how some of us fans look at Johnson. Uh, But I come back to my point, which is show me a number seven we've got or are going to get who's going to do that job as well as SJ next year, and then I'll I'll join the support to drop Johnson. But until you show me that person, (laughs) I don't know what we're doing. He's the the best we've got.
0: Yeah. And so there was a... a, a Big groundswell has been building for weeks for Volkman to come in for Johnson. Volkman, Ronald Volkman, signed mid-season from the Roosters. Highly-rated teenager um, has come in this week. Stacey's named him, but Johnson remains, and CHT has been bumped to number fourteen. Um, excited, Fons, to see uh, Volkman get a crack.
1: I don't know, man. I- I'm still, I'm still in a post Brown funk, if I'm honest. I um I don't have much hopes for this weekend. I just want this game to be over, the buy to come and the Tigers game to start and we can all kick start things again, you know, as it's almost a bit of a 2023 trial for me from the Tigers game on. But look, am I excited to see Volkman? Yeah. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things. Um it feels to me like SJ playing with Volkman is kind of like RTS playing with Walsh last year um, because they kind of play the same role. Like if you look at it, Volkman, as far as I can tell, is a genuine seven. And so is SJ. So playing the two together is probably not the right complementary fit. But if you want Volkman to be learning on field from an experienced seven it makes a lot of sense to play the two like I think they're both right-sided players too I might be wrong about that but I get a feeling they're both naturally right-sided players so even that's weird yeah whereas Sesh is a left-sided player so um I'm yeah I'm not expecting much from Volkman I'm not expecting Volkman to light it up like Walsh did last year or anything like that I just um I'm just hoping that he doesn't get absolutely towed by Big Panthers' edgeback rowers and he yeah. retains some sort of um, confidence as a player. It's a tough one to debut
0: in. Obviously, Penrith, 13-1, uh, and one, um, yeah. best team in the comp by quite a margin. A lot of people protecting record-breaking score lines this week. Yeah. Um, I've got a bit more hope for the Warriors this weekend. Um, Warriors have been dominant. F- I mean, P- Panthers have been dominant for the last... Two years before this year, um, in 2020, we they came up to Gosford and we pushed them really hard. 18-12 was incredibly yep. brave performance. Um, I think they were 18-0 up. We held them scoreless in the second half, from memory. Um, and it was, you know, part of that turnaround under Todd Payton that carried on right through the end of 2020. Um, Last year they came up to Suncorp and played us and we yes. got off to an absolute flyer and then we lost several players to injury, is that yeah, right? The, that's right. Um started, and, and we stayed in the game and showed a lot of heart. I think Josh Curran was one of the best players on the field that day. Thirty to sixteen was the final scoreline when, you know, had every right to blow out against a red hot team.
1: That was our best game of the year last year.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think we could hopefully see something similar to that. Everyone's, you know, expecting us to get absolutely annihilated, and I think, you know, we might overachieve a little bit this weekend. I don't know. Uh, and they have shaken up the the lineup. We've got Adam back. Hopefully, Adam for Neil Blake, which will make a yep. huge difference if he's anywhere. Near 100%. Jesse Arthur's coming in for Rocco Berry. That's a yep. really nice combination that that Arthur's and Johnson have. It's. Um, Produced quite a few tries and, and yeah, worth mentioning. Dallins piling on the tries outside SJ there, um, going on to, going along at just about a try game, and Arthur's not too far off that when he's been playing outside SJ too. So uh, a lot more potency on that right side this weekend. Whether that will mean anything against um, the the elite defence in the competition in Penrith, that remains to be seen. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not feeling. Uh, too glum about this weekend, kinda
1: of looking forward to it. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's always it's always good to see players who might be part of a, a better future get a run. And I'm, I'm really happy that SJ didn't get dropped. There was a lot of talk that he was going to get dropped for Volkman. Yeah. And that
0: would have been a disaster for Volkman, I think.
1: I agree. Disaster for Volkman, disaster for SJ, disaster for the club. Like I still I don't want to make this whole episode just about SJ, but I still feel like Get him back home, get him back with his family, um, get him established under Stacey Jones, sort out whatever shit is going on between the playing group um, now that Brownie's gone and that becomes a fait accompli. Get his confidence up because he's always been a guy who's somewhat sensitive and needs confidence. And SJ can be part of a turnaround for us over the next 18 months. Um, it's it's just, you know, that that's what that's the best thing that we can hope for at the moment yeah. and, and Volkman can be part of that too.
0: they spent a lot of time on you know our 360 um, rumor mongering that Johnson might not even see out the this, this season and retire um, hopefully that's not the case because you know we've got obviously Schnell leaving. Um, and got to try and piece together a, a halves combination out of Volkman, who's yet to debut. Metcalf, who's maybe started one or two games in the halves, and Dejan Arcee, So if he's re-signed. So I don't know, that doesn't seem like a recipe for success to me, but uh, hopefully Sean can go home to his family on Sunday, gets a good week, week and a half, um, you know, put footy out of his mind as much as possible and re- replenish and uh, come out firing at Mount Smart. I've booked my flights, Thons.
1: Oh, you're going, eh? are you? I am going, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Whether it's, you know, it could be, could be a pretty deflating occasion, but it could be awesome as well, and I'm sure there'll be a big turnout there. Just um, felt right to be a part of it. So I'll be there in the South Stand, and hopefully it's a, a good one. Hopefully Sean's there.
1: No, it will be good. It definitely will be good. I mean, those whispers around Sean retiring have been going on in the background for a while. You know, I've been hearing them since basically the Melbourne game. Um, There's something there, I think, in that. But uh, like I said, a lot, those whispers were also happening at the same time there were whispers that he and Brown weren't talking at all and that he was refusing to implement or wasn't implementing Brown's game model and stuff. So... Um, and then, of course, we're going home. So there's a lot changing that might change that those thoughts. I do think there's, he genuinely has thought about it, though. And it's,
0: it's worth noted, noting that Brown uh, came out in quasi-defensive Johnson and, and his situation of not having his family over there. You know, Brown didn't have to do that. If they were at loggerheads, it's a weird thing for Brown to do, to, um, you know, kind of go into bat for Sean and his situation. So, you know, maybe yep. that whole thing was
1: a bit... Overblown as well. Um, from- not sure. But but just one thing on that, like people saying we should play R C and stuff. Man, if you don't like SJ's defence, Dayan Arcee's defence, like, come on, really. it's He's not the answer. He's no – like, if, if you offer any other club, just based on on-field, Sean Johnson or Dayan R C at the moment, they're taking Johnson every day. Like, let's let's try and keep just some perspective you know it's yeah. getting a bit silly as you said he's a system player and the system is has sort of fallen apart
0: we've lost one of our uh, one one of our last nine uh getting flogged by anyone of ha- half decent quality and it's pretty hard to be a half back in that sort of situation you know i don't think he's making people around him play worse he's certainly not playing better than you know, or anywhere near close to his top standard, but I think he's been affected by how poorly the team's going. Talking about um, underperforming players, because I just found this little stat, and I know uh, that it might not mean anything, but it was just interesting to me. I've long been against Adam Pompey playing in the centres. Yep. Uh, continues to get picked. He's been, you know, set a couple of good moments uh clustered with a bunch of diabolical moments, peaking with that game against St. George Illawarra. So I don't get the stats, because I I actually don't mind him on a wing. Um, And obviously Adam Pompey doesn't, you know, make us win or lose games either way, but I just found these stats interesting. When Adam Pompey starts on the wing, uh, nine wins, eight losses Um, this season, a 2-2 and record. When Adam Pompey starts at centre, 10 wins, 20 losses. And this year, two and six. So yeah. uh, whether that's you know a reflection of how he's playing or just the general, uh, general reflection of our roster strength in that area. Um,
1: it yeah. Could have more to do with who comes into the centre when it's not Pompey. <laughs> it could be that too. Mm. But yeah, I, I've always thought he was more... I preferred him on the wing. But we, we've sort of come into this year with some some holes where, obviously, we talked about pre-season, the hole in the centre with, um, if you're looking at Aitken as a back rower, what I didn't appreciate um, is the extent to which Murchie has not kicked on and Katoa has gone backwards. And yep. I actually want to talk about this for a sec because um, basically Brownie, in hindsight, is looking at it going, well, I'm stuffed in the centres. I've got to play younger Likes who are developing and not there. Or put Aitken there where he hasn't trained in pre-season and then have guys who are going to do dumb things like play the ball sideways in Mochi yeah. in, in the back row, right? And so either way, it's uh, a problem. Do you, think
0: the net, sorry, do you think the net positive of having Aitken back in the centres and, you know, shoehorning Katawa back into a back row role, uh, do you think the net positive is, is higher, having Aitken at centre or leaving it as is and muggling along with Berry and Vilea and and Pompey
1: in the centres? Well I still would have would have put um, Aiken into the centers and done it done it that way. But it's interesting like the Brains Trust have come out saying that um, the issue with Brownie is that it was too complex and they want someone who's going to have a simple philosophy. And I was thinking about that in terms of if you if you are trying to put a complex game model in place, that's where you're developing players and players who haven't come through league systems are going to struggle the most. Like a guy like Katoa, right? If Brady brings, Brownie brings in his, you know, his um, supercomputer NASA level attacking game model, right? And he's got a guy in Katoa who still is trying to work out whether he should be doing rucks and walls or whether he should be playing the ball. You can sort of see how he might, struggle with that, like that type of player. Same with your Valiers, your Kossies, your, You know, all these guys who haven't had a good, strong development base would struggle. Whereas a guy like Curran or Montoya, who's basically come through Aussie development systems, um, like Curran's case of Roosters, Montoya was Bulldogs and others, and and in the case of Montoya too, a simpler role, Um uh, fine with it. There's there's no problem. And they, they're the players who have kicked on. But the union guys and the younger developing guys have gone backwards under Brownie. And I just wonder whether that's because he's overloaded their heads with complexity that they just can't hack. But whereas, like, if he took that to the Roosters, maybe, you know, that, that squad would have hacked it better.
0: Yeah, yeah, potentially. I mean, you know, as a guy like Barry is a case in point. He just... He looks like a strapping athlete, but he's just looked so confused on both sides of the ball out there.
1: He has no idea what to do. And when you like, you, you know, obviously never played elite sport, but even at park level sport or any, anything else you do, right. If you have to think about what you're doing all the time, then yep. you don't react. You know, you don't, um, you're not in the game as much. And all of a sudden you do look like a fish out of water and you start doubting yourself and you overthink and all that. I I feel like that's a, that's probably a big part of what's happened this year with some of these guys who have gone backwards because Kartoa was an excellent line running edge forward, and he's turned into a reserve grader.
0: And it was like Alakawatu, yeah. uh, that sort of player, and that's you know that's who we thought we were going to develop, and now he's not even in first grade in a depleted pack. It's
1: crazy. Yeah, so anyway, that's my my sort of halfback theory for the day around some of that development and why some players have kicked on, but most haven't. I, I think it he was, he was going to be too complex for the lack of development in a lot of our squad. Yeah. Fair,
0: fair call, I think.
1: Uh, well, now there's a test match coming up, Will. Yeah, we'll and about. they've uh, kind of taken
0: me by surprise a little bit by naming the teams. I thought they would get named after the weekend, but we've uh, got the New Zealand and Tonga teams. um Come out. I just thought I might pick a little bit of a Kiwi 17. See what you reckon about it from the squad of 25 that Michael Maguire has named. Yeah. Um, running through it, fullback straight away a contentious one because there's the yeah. only uh, player in the squad playing regular fullback is Tomato Martin. Uh, unbelievable story. Him, you know, coming back from basically Park Footy to, to the Broncos to the Kiwis. Um, I'd probably pick Joey Manu in the number one. Um, save here. Yeah, yep. big big body great, um, against a big physical Tonga team. I think he's exactly what we need. Any you know he could be an NRL fullback if he wanted to go to another club. I think. Um, on the wings, a little bit light out there. We've got uh wannabe Queenslander Ronaldo Mulatalo, bit of a controversial um, selection uh, given that he you know pr- would prefer to play Origin. My mate Wheeze is Blowing up about it. Doesn't want him <laughs> anywhere near the black and white jersey, but I think he'll be the first winger picked.
1: He's a walk-up uh, start on form, isn't
0: he? Oh, 100%. If they pick them in this, in this squad, he's playing for sure uh, next weekend. The other the other wing, a bit of a dead heat, I think, between Jordan Rapina, Ken Mamalo and Dallin Watanese-Zeleznia. Um, I've got a sneaky feeling that Dallin, given he was Maguire's, um, Maguire's captain a couple of years ago, for the, the end of season 2018 campaign and uh, the mid-season test in 2019. Bit of a favourite of Madge's. Maybe he gets the nod, but I would have either of those other two, I
1: think, you'd of it's, Dallin. But it's, you know, half a dozen of one. It's the other. It's hard, but, isn't it? Because Dallin and are and both clearly have leadership roles in that team. Like, you, you'd find it hard, I think, as Madge to leave them out. Yeah. Um, but you've got to leave one out. Oh, personally, I'd go Dallin. I think his form's pretty good at the minute. Yeah, I've, I don't.
0: Know, I've never been. A <laughs> and I've um, going back to the 2017 World Cup loss to Tonga. Uh, got an absolute bath from David Fusitua, and I've never Yeah. Um. Yeah, but but he has been finishing well on the on the flank for the Warriors. Meterage wise, probably a little bit light. Um. And we could definitely do with a sizeable winger against Tonga. I think. Um. He's also an option for fullback. He was. Uh, yeah rogers replacement there so maybe we see given that we're also a bit thin at center peter hiku great to see him back uh be the first center picked uh if obviously if he wants to play manu at center that's uh, you know he's a close to the best center in the game outside of that a little bit uh unsure of where they go i've got
1: marata new um, rookie. um I think I'd do that too, yeah, because you look at the centres, he's probably going to have Talakai and um, and Soli. Soli. So I I wouldn't mind a slightly, I mean, Hiku's (laughs) not your best defensive centre in the world. I wouldn't mind Nukoro, who's that sort of bigger body out there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And, you know, mobile enough, he's played a fair bit of first grade there. That's where he started out. So um, kind of got them bracketed, depending on how they go with, with fallback, but if Manu's your fallback, I've got you Nukore know, in the centres. Uh, I think in the halves, Karen Foreign has been named, but I've got Shirley Brown in here, who's get there on form. Um, look, look for the future, do you have Foreign in there, and maybe one of those guys as a fourteen or? I
1: haven't seen I haven't seen a lot of Foreign this year, but I've heard he's he's in you know not career best, but pretty pretty solid form, um, like last year um, really. Because um, Brown, Brown defending in the front line against this Tongan side has me a bit nervous. Like I don't know how foreign's going defensively, but I, I'd be picking um, my, my halves with an eye to defence. I think for this game, just yeah. given the opposition. I think that
0: yeah, I think that he will go with Brown and Hughes. I just get that feeling. Um, obviously, yep. it's a World Cup to win in the immediate future, but. It's also a nod to the to the longer term, and you know these these two are, two of the better ones in the in the NRL. Um, Brown's going to want to wear his shoulder pads, man. I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. So running plenty of traffic at him. Um, moving on to the Fords' embarrassment of riches. This is out, outstanding. Um, yep. I take the New Zealand pack over the Australian pack at the moment. Obviously, Brandon Smith at hooker uh, been sensational every time he's pulled on the jersey. Um, really, as a bad game at any level. And our front row rotation, you'd think it's probably James Fisher Harris and Jesse Bromwich, uh, your starting props, but there's also Joe Tapani, who I've put at lock. Yep. And that would allow um, Nelson Asafa Solomona and Moses Leota, former um, Samoa international, but great pick up, uh, pick from Penrith, um, as your sort of four front rowers of Tarpini's your number 13. Love that. Uh, second rowers I've got uh, Isaiah Papali'i and Kenny Bromwich and then um, and then you know, I'm not really sure how to go with the other two spots on the bench, whether they will just go for a 4 forward bench or pick someone like Foran or Martin as a 14 um, Yeah, otherwise I've got two back rowers coming out of New Korea if he's not in the centres and then it's a struck match between Isaac Luz, played a lot of test footy uh, Britta Nakora, who's a incumbent, and then uh, some rookie bolters and Griffin name Jordan Rickey and Scott Sorensen. Love the pick of all three of those, uh, West Coaster Griffin name Jordan Rickey from Canterbury, So great to see a couple of South Island boys, and Scott Sorensen, I don't even know if he's ever lived in New Zealand, but he comes from great Kiwi Rugby League stock, uh, nephew of all-time greats, Kurt and Dane Sorensen. Um, and so the only guys that I haven't mentioned in the squad at all are uh, I think the only one actually is, is Aaron Clark. Um, interesting call to pick Aaron Clark from the Titans. I would have gone. We talked about this off air. Jazz. I would have gone. I don't think he's that far behind as a dummy half than Aaron Clark and a much better sort of running forward. Jazz. So a bit unlucky, maybe.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. So like, if I look at the bench, so we I agreed with your prop rotation and Tarpanel at 13. Um, so then there's two spots left on, on my bench and Brandon Smith hasn't been playing a lot of 80-minute games, you know, so you do kind of want some yes. hooker hook cover there in case he is blowing or busted. And Jazz would have been perfect for that because he could he could um, come on for Brandon if needed or he could spell Tappen at 13 because that's also a big ask for him to play 80 minutes. Um, so I think Jazz would have made a lot of sense. Uh, I don't think I'd go Aaron Clark unless you know that um, Brandon Smith isn't going to be able to do it, or maybe you want Brandon Smith to have a stint at thirteen um, to give Tarp and a spell as well. Like you might use him that way, so you might bring Aaron Clark in there. But he's just his form's just not that good, is he at, at nine? So it's it's a bit of a worry. And then like that gives you one more where I probably would have just gone an Isaac Lou for a bit more. Um, punch through the middle because it's going to get it's going to get hectic <laughs> through yeah, the middle true um, there another option at mcguire's disposal is um using kenny
0: bromwich as a 14 um he has played a had, kind of out of necessity before brandon smith came along a fair bit of dummy half in the kiwis jumper no starts but you know he's been used in that sort of role um
1: that's not a bad shout. And then who would you put on that edge? Is it
0: Nikora? Yeah, yeah, if he's not centre, I'd, I'd probably be my first uh, second rower picked. And Nikora has played, you know, done yeah. well. I don't think he's gone that well without Johnson at the Sharks anymore. But still a solid enough player with a, with Test footy experience um, from a purely you know, fan point of view, I, I would love to see a Bolter like Neem Sorensen or Ricky get a get a debut, but yeah, uh, plenty of time for that with the World Cup coming up and some pretty easy pool matches. And no Tohu Harris? No, so Tohu, we haven't seen him playing for the Kiwis since 2016, um, he never has really come out and said why just sort of more an injury thing and obviously he's coming off that knee reconstruction but he's playing some pretty big minutes at the warriors um at the moment maybe fair enough that he doesn't make himself available interested to see if he makes himself available for the world cup um yeah he's sort of just been a, an annual thing really obviously have has been in test footy for a while but he's played in grand finals and then uh brushed off end of season tours after that bit of a frustration of mine as a uh, passionate Kiwis fan and internationalist, but yeah, we'll see what 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 Tohu's, uh future holds.
1: And he does have a lot of stuff to deal with at the club. Let's be real, in pulling that yeah. playing group
0: together yeah, and there's a bit on his plate. So in this instance, maybe it's just, just uh, something that's sort of been rolling for five years or so that I wouldn't mind seeing addressed from a Kiwis. Uh, point of view, um, interesting to see just the one Kiwi uh, warrior named Dallin, um, but of a sad state of affairs for a, a, the only New Zealand club to have one guy who's not even guaranteed a spot in the 17. Five former warriors in there, four of them warriors juniors who debuted in first grade with the club. Um, yeah, again, another bit of a stain on the, the warriors' ability to identify and or
1: develop. And you could say the same about the Tongan side where, um, I mean, obviously the Warriors have a lot of access to Tongan heritage players and Adam Finua-Blake might be the only one in the 17. I don't think Katoa is going to get a spot. No, Um, he was the last named in their extended squad. Um, Yeah, so think about that. And he's come through an Aussie and manly system, right? Yeah, Um, Sydney-born Adam Finua-Blake. Yeah, so we haven't managed to get one Tongan player out of New Zealand into the squad. against yeah, so, a couple of uh,
0: former former Warriors in there and Siosiwa see what Aho and Saliva Havili.
1: Yeah. Yep, our development is not real good. <laughs> it's not real good at the moment, is it? But look, the, the flip side of that is, as you've identified, we've got four, did you say, Warriors-developed players in the Kiwi team, two in the Tongan team. These two teams... Like, there's they're probably each short one or two players, I'd say, from being genuinely able to be every bit as consistently good as the origin teams. You yep. know what I mean? And so, we could have six there easily, you know, if, if oh, we okay. hung on to the right players and so on. So, it, it is there if we hit development right, and it will, it'll come. Yeah. Um, yeah, can't wait for this test. Actually, it's
0: been a Long three years, just about since we've seen any test footy. Uh, I like the Kiwis' chances more, mostly because of our advantage in the spine. one uh, yeah. for Tonga of Havili, Tala Mona, Katoni Stags has been, been named at 5'8", May it isn't sort of said publicly whether he play that or Origin and um, and Cola the the Sea Eagles uh, rookie, is
1: at fullback. So yeah, yeah, but, I mean it's it's with the Tongans, it's always just whether you can hold your own in and around the ruck enough so that you actually get enough time and space for your spine advantage to do something like when they beat australia in that amazing test match um in 20 was it 2019 the the, australia had you know like an amazing spine and Tonga had a patched up spine of reserve graders basically but the forward dominance and it was actually not just forward dominance it was ruck dominance across the park whether it was centres running or wingers running or middles running was was just that great that that spine didn't have the time to do anything with their skill and yeah. and Tonga was able to ground it grind it out. I mean seriously, you could have you could if you put Wade Egan behind that Tongan forward pack, you would be considered the best hooker in the <laughs> game. You know what I mean? It's that it's that drastic the effect that a yeah. a pack like that has. Oh,
0: we saw it in the twenty seventeen World Cup with. Uh... Warriors rejects uh, Lola here and Tinga. or yeah. well, they might have still been at Warriors at the time, but they were just absolutely dominant um, on the back. Yeah. Tonga's forward momentum and those, uh, you know, blockbusting players outside them, they're, they're playing out of their skins. So, yeah, it'll be explosive. I'm um, hopefully a big crowd there. I'm sure it'll be more pro Tonga as as it has been recently, but that's all good. It's great for the game, great for the international game, and can't wait for it.
1: Yeah, same, man. I'm looking forward to that every bit as much as I'm looking forward to Origin, probably more, and that's me sitting here in Sydney, you know, New South Wales, born and bred. I can't wait for this game.
0: But where do you sit on an international footy, fonts with your Warriors leanings uh, when we're at the World Cup? Say it's actually looking like a almost a, a definite Aussie-New
1: Zealand semi final. Which uh, side of the fence are you on? I've always – like, I've always – Well, always, I've gradually over time become a Kiwis fan um, because, um, like, it's better for the international game and um, obviously Warriors players are there. And it's just got too hard. It's too hard to be a Warriors fan and an Australia fan. You you can't really do it. It's a bit of a strange kind of identity crisis, I guess, that I have. But, you know, but that extends as well. Like when Tonga play Australia, I go for Tonga. Yeah. Um, only only in um, rugby league, by the way. So, like, if we're talking cricket, if we're talking um, soccer, yeah. It, yeah, union, I'll go for Australia over um, any other nation. But in, in league, I, 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 I'm i sort of in this weird space in league where my identity sort of tied to the Warriors and the game, you know. And to be honest, the kangaroos are just not – just don't capture my imagination. Yeah, no, no, that's a, that's a fair call. When I was uh, –
0: a passionate Bronco supporter back in my younger days, I, d- I definitely found the international side of it hard, you know, a little bit conflicting with Bronco, stack Kangaroos things. But no, we'll uh, we'll certainly take you on our side, Fons. Uh Big year international footy, and um, you know, if the Warriors aren't, don't end up going particularly well, at least
1: we've got that to look forward to. World Cup year, pretty exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that
0: about we covered off bonds? Is there anything else? Frank?
1: No, the, I think that's about it. We did say we'd get to all the questions that people asked last week, but we need Brad here for that. So that's we'll have to do that in the next, like, three-way podcast uh, or, or, alternatively, people have forgotten by then and we can just suck <laughs> just it. The carpet. No, no, we'll try and get to them
0: because there was some good questions in there and they uh, and a lot of them are not too time-dependent. time, um, time dependent. So uh, we will get to them. Sorry about not getting to them yet. Um Hi to Brad, if you're listening, he's he's flat out at work, he's under the pump, couldn't join us this week. I'm not sure if he actually listens to the the pods that he's not on. Um, no, probably not, so, no. It's probably it's... just, just uh, pissing into the ether here,
1: but... I think he gets his apprentice to listen and tell him <laughs> what, what happened. See if he's been slagged off by us at all. Uh, yeah. yeah, thanks
0: for joining me, Fons, on this um, Wednesday workday, mate. Enjoy your afternoon and um, enjoy the weekend. Thank you, Will. Go the Warriors.